welcome to episode two of the I Dig It podcast, a podcast where we talk about the student's perspective of archaeology and anthropology. And today we'll be discussing the differences between the U.S., U.K., and Canadian undergraduate programs. We have two special guests today, Catherine, who completed her BA in anthropology with a minor in education from McGill and a master of science in archaeological information systems from the University of York as well as Emmeline, who received her BA and Master's from the University of York in Archaeology and Heritage and Digital Heritage. Catherine will be giving us the Canadian perspective, while Emmeline will bring the UK perspective. Michaela and I will give insight to the American undergrad programs. I did my undergrad in Anthropology and Geography at Dartmouth. And I did exactly the same thing at California State University, Long Beach. Alyssa and I also completed our Master's at the University of York as well, which is where we all became acquainted. So starting with Catherine, can you give us a rundown of what your focus was during your undergraduate program? For example, for my major in anthropology, it was this big umbrella of anthropology, but I specifically took courses in archaeology. And then once I found out about digital archaeology, I also took coursework in um, geography and like GIS and a minor in religious studies. What about you? What did you focus your research in? Uh, for myself, it was kind of a mess at, at the beginning, to be honest. I kind of joined the anthropology program a little late, so I had to <laughs> take whatever was kind of offered during those semesters, so I didn't really have the luxury to kind of choose my classes at first. I also started like three weeks later because um, I had just given up on the previous program and kind of last minute decided, decided to change my whole life. What was your first program? Uh, it was education. So I did start wanting to be a history teacher in high school. And after the, I mean, at the beginning of the third year, I just switched it up <laughs> completely. Okay. But you still kept the minor in education? Sorry. Yeah. Well, all my, so yeah, all my courses were done. So I was, uh, mm. switched them to the minor instead of redoing the whole program. Oh, cool. Was there any reason why you decided to switch to anthropology? in the middle of your course? (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, At first, I just realized I really didn't like the whole teaching aspect. I mean, that's that's a lie. I I love teaching. I liked it. I didn't like it being in high school and it being focused on history. And so it was very uh, (laughs) a last-minute decision where I just kind of dropped out and overnight I was like well you know what I'm just going to be an archaeologist and that's fine and I mean it's something that I wanted to do ever since I was a kid so I kind of went back to that and decided that like I needed to commit fully to this this time and not just not go into it because I was too scared of like lack of jobs or whatever I just decided to to do it and I think another good thing to mention was I think Canada has a different system for exiting out of high school into undergrad than the U.S. does. And I think the U.K. has a similar uh, program, too. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Well, in Quebec, where I'm from, it's only specific to Quebec. But after high school, we have a two or three year period in what we call CEGEP. And that's where I took a lot of humanities classes. So I got really into sociology and stuff like that. And then you move to a university where usually the programs are three years. That's so cool. Yeah, we didn't have anything like that in the U.S. I didn't even know what anthropology was until I entered my undergraduate program. <laughs> I, 
I have a question. So in Quebec, it's different than even the rest of Canada. How so? Uh, yes. Well, the way Canada's kind of made, it's that education is provincial based. So every province has mm. a different way of approaching education. Mm. And as Quebec is the uh, French speaking province, we kind of tend to do things slightly differently than the rest of the province. So we have our own little education culture, if you want. And Emmeline, I know in the UK, it's it's kind of a similar situation where you have to do something outside of high school Uh, before you enter university. I don't know if it's outside of high school, so I I don't quite see how it it would work. So basically, um, in the UK, you start your secondary education at the age of 12, and you go all the way up until you're about 18, 19. So I started university when I was at 19, and then... The years between I was when I was seventeen to nineteen, I did A levels, and A levels you tend to do a lot more um, concentrated subjects, and you only really meant to study four subjects max over the two years, um, and you can tailor it to the kind of courses you want to go in and to study into university, but that's only one aspect of the further education that you have in the UK um and like i say four subjects max i i was quite lucky that in my school um they realized that i kind of wanted to do a lot more and i ended up having seven a levels by the end of it oh my god yeah that's kind of like our normal high school is you're just taking everything at once we don't really have the opportunity to focus any sort of um topic before entering graduate school or um undergrad i i found it quite I found it quite restricting. Say, I'm half Belgium, and on Mm -hmm. the continent, I got the impression that the ability to continue doing all of the subjects until you go to university gave you more options to choose what you could go to study at university because you're not limiting yourself at the age of 17 for something you don't know you'll enjoy when you turn you know when you graduate um I was lucky because I knew that I wanted to do archaeology when I was 15 so I kind of chose the subjects that I knew would let me uh, go and pursue a, um, a degree in archaeology but if I turned up to York and I hated archaeology I would have been limiting myself to the A-levels I took to what other degree courses I could do which is I can it can be mm. limiting and restricting you're essentially asking a 16 year old person what they want to do for the rest of their lives if they choose to go to yeah. university yeah, that's, that's what I stressful. found strange um, going into graduate school in the UK was hearing about how everyone had entered their undergrad there. Because when I was going into undergrad, I ended up switching my majors like five times in undergrad. And if I would have stuck with that first one, I never would have found anthropology towards the end of my degree. And like my life would have been so much different. And I think that's like, I, I don't know if I agree with that system <laughs> for the UK to choose like before you enter undergrad. I feel like with some it works and then some it might not. So there's meant to be subjects that allow you to pursue different degrees. So it's like the facilitating subjects, but like English, maths, the sciences. But if you have to do four, you do you really want to go maths, one of the sciences one of the sociology or humanities based subjects and one of the languages because mm-hmm. that just kind of limits you even more because you don't get to um look into different things either well luckily you knew you wanted yeah, archaeology <laughs> <laughs> so with that what did what courses did you end up taking in your undergrad for focusing in archaeology i say so york when you when you 
when you choose to do archaeology, you, you are in the archaeology department, full stop. So all of my lectures took part in the archaeology department. But what the, one of the reasons I chose York in the first place is that they took the... When, when I started in 2015, the way they sold the course was... We're going to treat everyone equally. It doesn't matter if you've done archaeology as an A-level. We're starting that everybody doesn't know anything about the subject and we're going to introduce it to you. So we learnt about archaeological history, accessing archaeology, the basics of field archaeology, and then the dreaded, sorry, I meant the lovely uh, archaeology theory <laughs> module. <laughs> uh, <laughs> absolutely lovely. But it, I found it quite interesting in the fact that York, even though it sold itself as a pure archaeology discipline, the, the the different branches they include into the lectures was actually quite interesting um and i didn't feel like i was limited by going to a university which basically just said we do archaeology you're not going to learn about the different chemistry aspects and stuff because you do get the opportunities to do it it's just within your modules within the seminars rather than going to the different departments to do it mm-hmm that's so much, I think that's the major difference between um, UK and US schools, because for, I think, both of our undergrads, you go in doing, like, general education requirements, so that um, requires that you do some math, some science, some um, arts, and then you don't really start taking your major coursework until, like, second, third year. Um, so we have to explore like all of these different departments before we even declare what our focus wants to be. And then within that focus of a major, we had anthropology. And for me, I was required to take um, a couple classes in biological anthropology, topical anthropology, cultural, and then archaeology as well. And then after you do those requirements, you start taking like like just archaeology classes like in your third and fourth year or focusing into other subjects so you really don't only do archaeology until the end of your degree and then up until then you're kind of like um mishmashing every major together to kind of put it into it's called like a liberal arts program is where they bring in majors from um all over and have you test the waters and everything before you commit to something and also it just gives you like a more well-rounded perspective of the education in general yeah and like while as I didn't mind that there are some things where just like I really did not need to take this at all and I know for in my university it was like you had to take those general education courses and then upper division courses of those general education courses and they called those capstones and you had to do at least like four capstones I believe in like different fields and luckily I was able to kind of um cross-utilize them so they would count with my anthropology degree so like in the end I graduated a whole semester early so it was awesome do you not get to like choose what you can do you get stuck by having to do supplementary classes I think mine was a little different than Michaela's for us we could choose any course to fulfill our general ed requirements so for example we have like a math requirement but you didn't have to take math we had like classes that counted as a math credit like in the English department or social sciences so I ended up taking social statistics to fulfill my math requirement but it didn't have any math in it at all and there was also like an English course that fulfilled a math requirement that was just playing like video games for the class (laughs) and so for us there were a lot of like ways around 
you could always make it something you wanted to do. It was never like you have to take history 101 or you have to take mm-hmm. math 101, like that sort of thing. You could always like fit it into your interests. And I don't think that's the case for a lot of undergraduate programs in the U.S. I think that's very specific to like the smaller liberal arts programs. Yeah, for me, it was you had to take like U.S. history and there's two certain U.S. history classes that you could take. And I'm not enti- I, I'm not too sure if it differed from different programs, because I know a lot of the courses were catered for the anthropology degree, so I needed 120 units to graduate, so they had to, like, all set out. And it wasn't until you reached the upper division courses that you can kind of choose what you wanted to take, because you had the prerequisites that you had to fulfill. But even then, it's just, like, there's only a certain amount of communications courses you could take and English courses... And with math, I just took statistics. (laughs) That's all I need. Sure. Catherine, what were your requirements like for your major? Um, I think it's pretty much just credit-based. So we had X amount of credits to do in uh, like either 200 levels uh, for anthropology classes and stuff like that. So you just take the classes that fits those credits and those levels of education that you need. There's no, I don't remember being any like specific requirements, like we didn't necessarily need to do a field school, for example, Um, although if you did, that counts as more credit, so you kind of like have a jump start there. Um, Interesting that you bring up field school as a requirement. I don't think mine required any sort of field school. It was just recommended that we do a field school before we enter the working world because they want to see that you've like had experience digging in the dirt. And that sort of thing. Did any of you guys have a field school required for your actual education? So for my field school, it was built within our first year. Uh, the University of York is one of the only universities that offered an archaeology year where the field school was offered by the university, saproned by the university, paid for by the university, I mean by my student fees. But um, it was different. So if I was on the heritage field school, which meant that I did the heritage based field work, which meant that I spent half of my time, um, in fact, most of my time researching the history of the site that we were digging to come up with a heritage experience that could be developed for the site and the stakeholders. And then um, I spent like two days digging. So it was and then the rest of my cohort spent four weeks working on site learning all the different skills they would need if they were doing archaeological field work in the UK um which I found I, I that's one of the reasons why I ended up applying for your I like the fact that um we weren't expected to go and fund our own field work experience which was deemed to be mandatory for the course but not offered by the university um mm-hmm. the only problem that I had with it at the end of it was the fact that I I felt like if I wanted to be both an archaeologist and a heritage field work practitioner I might not have had I might not have had as as much experience on the field, which is why my second year I volunteered to do some media filming at Moulton. And when I wasn't busy filming, I was um, helping dig on the on the like on the site, and I got the experience that I felt I hadn't had uh, by volunteering and digging at Moulton, and made quite a lot of friends and learned quite a new techniques as well. But York is one of the only places that I know that offered that at the time. That's awesome because England also has all of these amazing cultural heritage sites just on the doorstep command. <laughs> you can just walk down the street and you'll be at a Roman fort. And... 
I feel like we we don't get any of that over in the West. Uh, <laughs> you see this in your history book? Well, actually, look to your left. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I grew up. Yeah, yeah, I grew up in a town which had a Roman villa just right on my doorstep. That's yeah, casual. just just like wow. could cycle to it whenever <laughs> I wanted. Yeah, I think with like the U.S. coursework, you're under the anthropology umbrella again, like I said, and so fieldwork isn't required because you're not majoring in archaeology you're majoring in anthropology with a Mm -hmm. focus in archaeology but I feel like there are ways to get funding to go do an archaeology school through most universities or like to get on a research project with the professor like I went to Mexico with my professor and that counted as fieldwork but it wasn't a field school but I also ended up doing a field school after I graduated anyway but I had to pay for that on my own, and it was like $2,000, and it was only mm-hmm. in Washington, which is like a state up. It kind of sucked to like have to pay for um, the field school and not have that be a part of the program. And I think a lot of people have to go abroad for these experiences, too, like Michaela mm-hmm. did. Especially in the U.S. There's not that many sites that can be easily accessible for excavation mm-hmm. because of all like the regulations mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah. And because you don't need it to go for everything. <laughs> but I know for my department of anthropology, there was a bulletin board where they would post up different field work opportunities, yeah, and not same. just for archaeology, but for other sections of anthropology. And it would kind of be difficult because there'd maybe be one archaeology, but then there was like a bunch of prereqs and maybe it was $5,000. And it was like, oh, okay, well, I'm working like basically seven days a week. And I don't really have time to do this right now. Mm-hmm. So then it just continuously gets pushed off because it's also not being encouraged. It's kind of mentioned like, oh, you should do this if you're interested. But it's not like, hey, you really need to do this. I definitely think it's less accessible um, as like a starting archaeologist in the U.S. Because most of your experience you have to find and pay for yourself. It's not really part of the curriculum. Um, we had the same thing with like the bulletin board where you would post, but... It was mostly like, oh, come do the school in the Mediterranean that cost $5,000 or like something mm-hmm. like that. And yeah, there weren't a whole lot of options like within the department, like locally to like just drive down the street and do some archaeology. Another thing with um, undergrad in the or even undergrad in general, you're expected to have like all this experience graduating so that you can start work. And I think... For a lot of places, you get this experience from, like, free labor within the department. I was fortunate enough to be in, like, a private school so they could pay us for, like, office work that we were doing. So I worked for just, like, professors, like, doing data entry and that sort of thing. But I know that's not the case in most places. Um, Can you guys speak on that at all? Uh, Yes. Well, one of the things I do find weird, or I don't know if it's weird, but just kind of annoying about archaeology is that there's a lot of experience required to actually work on the field, but you start off not being paid for that experience. So you do the field school where you have to kind of pay it or have it as a class. And then that that might not be enough for an actual job in archaeology. So you kind of need to like build your resumes by doing unpaid labor. And in my case, I wasn't actually paid for digging until I finished my master's because that's when they realized that oh maybe like I know what I'm doing although like I had all this education before um I I guess I was actually quite lucky um 
So well, I was lucky enough to go on a field school uh, at Chattahoyak with Dr. Sarah Perry. The only thing I had to pay for were my flights and my visa because everything else was paid for by York. And this is, I think it depends on the place, but the field school that I did, it was part of the module. It's part of a credit that you needed in order to pass the course. So it, we treated it more as an exam and an assessment more than the free labour. And any other thing that I've done with York, uh, be it the media volunteering or be it um, working on a motive or something, I've always been remunerated for my time if I've done something that con contributes as an output for the project, which I don't know if that is specific to, to York or if it's just the department understood you know, how frustrating it can be if you don't have some sort of remuneration for the work that you're doing for them. Yeah, I mean, in my case, the field school was also part of the program, so I didn't actually have to pay extra for that. But it's the like the other experience, like if you want to work in CRM, for example, then they won't take you unless you have a little bit more than just a field school. And to get that, you need to kind of yeah. volunteer and do stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of the like field school overarching corporations in the U.S. are kind of sleazy too a lot of the times like I remember looking for a field school coming out of graduate and I found this one um I think it was hosted somewhere around UCLA and they required like a $500 deposit and then it was going to be like $3,000 for the field school and I ended up not being able to do it and I was just down and out $500 and couldn't get that money Wait, back what? and yeah so I think a lot of like these like privatized corporations that offer like field schools for American students sometimes aren't the best and you kind of have to like mm -hmm. go into um, like finding your own program that won't take advantage of you and your money in that way and I think that's what we're lacking in the U.S. with um, archaeology specific programs is we don't really have a system for providing that field experience unless you have a specific professor working mm -hmm. on a field project and I really like that about your guys' school is that it was incorporated into the program. And I had to like externally like work and find to uh, get my experience. I really wish that they would actually lay down the money and show the differences between like what part of the cost of like $5,000 goes to what. It's like if I understand if it's going to all the housing and food and such, but you're also paying maybe $2,000 on top of it for a flight. Like, say if you're going to Greece, that round trip ticket is going to be very pricey on top of an already pricey field school. Mm -hmm. And just being by, by being able to differentiate the numbers and then actually see how many hours you are getting of experience, I think that would be very beneficial for people looking into field work and field schools. And how much time you are, like, on the field, or if you're doing lab work, or if you're just laying around doing nothing, mm -hmm. just waiting for something to happen. Yeah, I would say my biggest advice to people going into undergrad, like, archaeology-specific programs for the U.S. is to first look within your department to see if any professors have any research that you can jump onto, because I think that'll be... You could probably get funding like through your school, through your professor, through that, rather than starting with external programs that you're going to have to pay for. 
And I think that's really like last resort. And something that I did that was kind of like a life hack that I didn't know about before was I waited until after graduation to do my field school because then I didn't have to pay for the credit portion of the field school. So I ended up only having to pay for housing and it like I think the field school originally was like 3500 and that included like the class and the coursework and the housing and everything but without the class payment I only had to pay 2000 which was still a lot but like it was a lot less than what I would have had to pay for credit which I didn't need because I had already graduated. Something that I'm actually really curious about and I know it differs in the U.S. as well but were you guys required to write a thesis for your undergraduate? Yes. Uh, no, in my case, thank God, I didn't have to. What was it like writing a thesis for your undergraduate? What was required? Um, what was the process so like? We basically, from the start of my second year, we were taught research skills in terms of these are the skills that you're going to need if you want to do your dissertation properly and also can be applied for any future research job that you might be interested in getting. And then from January of the second year, uh, you basically just start doing all of the research proposal. You start building up what you want to do in your if for the the thesis in my undergrad, the department were very supportive in the fact that you they gave you the list of supervisors, the project they were they were working on, what. Um, archaeological branch that fit into in terms of what you guys what you wanted to achieve at the end of your degree um, and then you could approach them and just tell them why you were interested in doing it and they'd take you on I decided to go around the hard route and I didn't like any of the uh, projects that were proposed <laughs> um, <laughs> and I basically had to, to write my own dissertation proposal and submit it to uh, the, Dr Sarah Perry who I kind of politely went and asked first beforehand if she'd be interested in this project that I had in mind, which was mm-hmm. how audio guides could be used to emotionally engage uh, heritage audiences or audiences at heritage sites. Luckily for me, mm. she said yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I had to go around the hard route and, 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 and do a step further. Um, and then it's, it's a similar process to what we did on our masters. You write the lit review, um they they can only mark it they can only read it through once mark it once uh give you feedback you only had six hours of contact time in terms i think i think it was six it might not be six i remember Mm -hmm. it being six (laughs) of of that was the only amount of time they could spend going through it reading through it and giving you feedback on on your project i mean they were always there to help dr sarah perry was an amazing amazing mentor she she stuck up for me when I had a really hard time in my personal life and just went above and beyond what any other supervisor mm-hmm. has ever done um but you know it's no mean feat 10,000 words by the end of your of your third year and you're meant to it's it's your project it's you become an expert in mm-hmm. that so when I started my master's I I kind of felt as if I was coming in at it from I've done three years of archaeology, I know the basis of it, I understand the theory of it, and I also happen to be becoming specialised in the use of audio guide and sound at heritage sites, and how can I develop it further in terms of the digital heritage. So I really liked doing a thesis, it was stressful, it took up so much time of my third year, and I sort of felt like I... I spent so much time working on it. I sort of felt that I missed the university experience in some ways. Um, 
but that's me because I'm so invested in archaeology and I'm really passionate about what I studied and what I want to research but I kind of got the impression that I spent more time at York researching about audio guides and emotional engagement and and how it can be used at heritage sites that I didn't get to do the more exciting stuff like the prehistory and the early human analysis and that sort of stuff which is also something I'm really passionate about but I didn't have the opportunity to go and do that as a dissertation because none of the professors uh, at the time at York were really wanting to do research on something that's been done many times. That's, a, that's something that I've noticed about um, like UK versus US is UK kind of pigeonholes you into someone else's research. And I think that's the same with like their PhD programs too. You apply to a project that's available or that needs to be done. Um, and it was interesting how you said that going above and beyond to pick your own topic was part of your uh, UK thesis because in the US, that's what you have to do no matter what. You're picking your own research. You're not like, jumping onto someone else's work. And for my school, we weren't required to do a thesis, but you would graduate with like an extra merit or whatever if you did end up doing it. I started out trying to do one and then I ended up um, quitting towards the end of it just because of stuff. But <laughs> like for us, you, yeah, I think for like our undergrad, our graduate, our PhD, it's always you proposing your research and then you have to find someone to fit your needs rather than you jumping on to someone else's research that is something that you want to work like in adjacent I to. I think the reason why it's offered at undergrad is I think the universities realise that you can't exactly ask someone just to, you know, in their second, this was at the start of my second year, you're expected to come up with this research project on your own after one year of academic study doing primarily the background. But... I didn't like any of their offers. Um, like I love archaeology, but I'm not your typical. I like Vikings. I like medieval, which are the main specialisms in York. Um, and I like again. I I I read through the professors and what they specialised in. I knew that Sarah was into heritage, and I knew that she's just started working on the emotive project. So I knew it was about emotions, and I took what I'd learned from the heritage school, which is when we made the audio guide. We focused on the emotion behind the stories and trying to bring the people to life because there's nothing to see on the site and you can't make something exciting if there's nothing to see but sheep and farmland. Um, so, so, <laughs> so the site I worked in uh, my first year, it's called Brewery Banks. It's essentially just moorland. Um, you can't see anything anymore. But back in the early 19th century, early 20th century, early 20th century, um, there's... Um, it, it was a navigator camp, which is like um, sedentary people that move around from site to site building industrial structures. So this particular site built a reservoir that fed the people of Leeds. And then it became a training uh, site for First World War soldiers from Leeds. And then it became a prisoner of war camp. And all of that's gone now. But the archaeological remains are still there. You can still see the remains of the structures. We have the paper and the archive reports are saying that there used to be a site here. We can see the old transport links that exist. But if you're not an archaeologist, you can't see it. And if you want to make something that engages people, you, you kind of need to use the stories. And that's what I really loved about archaeology. And Professor, like Dr. Sarah Perry allowed me to go and explore that further. 
York is predominantly um, scientific and biological and Vikings and isotopes. It's not as much heritage and emotion and stories and interpretation and, you know, looking beyond the material and trying to see the person who looked after that or who had a deep personal connection with the object that has been lovingly left in the ground. You know, it's and and I was lucky. I was really lucky. Yeah. It's great that you were able to do that sort of focus in your undergraduate because like I would associate undergraduate with just like kind of poking at everything and not really focusing on any sort of topic. And like for me, I really enjoyed that being able to kind of uh, cruise through different departments and see what I liked and like feel that out. And I'm really glad that I wasn't forced to do a like big thesis project during that time because I think um, I had more freedom to kind of explore everything and then um, like consider graduate school where I could focus then on like something I really wanted to do Mm -hmm. which was digital archaeology. Do you think that your thesis had anything to do with you pursuing a master's based on the fact that you were able to choose what you wanted to do for your thesis? Yeah it's it's um I think if I hadn't had I think if I hadn't had the opportunity to do a thesis I wouldn't have had the confidence in myself to go and pursue a master's um Mm -hmm. I I never ever intended to do degree uh, a BA master's and and now looking at potentially doing a PhD straight off the bat I always had it in my mind I'd do my BA I'd go into the world of work for a few years maybe come back and do a master's go back into the world of work for a bit and come back and do a PhD because I didn't think I would have the experiences I would need to just go BA master's but doing the thesis it made me realize that I knew what I wanted to do that the course was on offer at York um, and I knew the people and I knew that I could bring my expertise to to the to the course I'm not the best computer savvy person but I have other knowledges that I could apply to the course at the same time Catherine, did you feel underprepared at all, not having to do a thesis and then like jumping into a master's program and being expected to write 20,000 words? Um, I mean, I like, I feel constantly underprepared for anything, so I would say yes. <laughs> uh, Fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, just in my case, like you guys, we had to move to a different country and I, to me doing a master's in my second language, I wasn't really sure what to expect. Even if I did my undergraduate also in English, it was kind of a, it's a different setting for sure. It was, I don't know if I could do a fully academic year in English, like writing thesis and all that. So I kind of had to take a step back and learn from the beginning and just write my essays during the program as a way to learn how to write an essay in Britain, which is slightly different than here. But, mm-hmm. So I was nervous for that and felt underprepared for that. But I think just like you guys, you, the master kind of prepares you to learn a bit faster. You have to stay on top of your stuff and just kind of adapt to the situation. And I do think York has a good network of professors where they, they are help, they're there to help you. And like most of them knew I couldn't speak English as my first language. So they're kind of understanding of that too. So that really helped me. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I definitely didn't feel 
underprepared going into like writing a thesis having not written one because we had plenty of like writing essays throughout undergrad um, that were like 20 pages or whatever so it Mm -hmm. wasn't like too big of a deal but I definitely think if I had to write a thesis I maybe wouldn't have found digital archaeology because we would have had to start much earlier and like focusing all your attention onto one topic and I didn't find digital archaeology till like the end of my third year and so if I was focused on I started off doing like Mesoamerican archaeology, which is completely different from what I'm doing now. And if I would have had to write a thesis on that topic, I think my life would have been (laughs) completely different from what it is right now. So I'm glad that uh, we had the freedom to like pick and choose whether you wanted to do a thesis or not, in my case. Yeah, for me, it wasn't even offered. Mm. At least for anthropology, I have no idea for other majors but there is no opportunity to, for a thesis. Here's a question for everyone. If you were to do undergraduate again, would there be anything you would have done differently? Oh, God. <laughs> um, I think that I would have... Oh, this is a tricky one. I think I would have done it at a different school where archaeology was the main focus because although McGill is a really good school... I don't think their archaeology program is the best. Um, although it did give me the whole English language thing, which I don't think if I didn't have, I could not have gone to England, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. <laughs> so it's a it's a bit of a... I think I would have stayed at the... I don't know, I would probably have done another school, but I would have lacked the masters in England if that makes sense that makes sense I think with me I wouldn't do anything in terms of I wouldn't change any of the choices I made during the academic year but I would definitely have looked into doing more field schools or more uh, field work and experiences during the holidays um, rather than rather than spending it all on I need to make money to live I had enough money to live I just I don't think I had the confidence or the I didn't know exactly where to look to go and gain more experience and I think that's something that we could all definitely benefit more from is there being more transparent opportunities for students in the UK as to what they could go and do to gain that experience and to gain more confidence in in their archaeological and heritage knowledge and experience. Um, I, if I can add on that, I agree. I think the whole networking aspect of archaeology is something that I've always struggled with, and if I could redo it, I would try to, like, gain confidence in that and just not be afraid to go talk to the professors and ask them if I could help on anything, because I didn't do that and I kind of regret that. Yeah, I was going to say I wouldn't change how I did anything differently, but I would have liked to have had archaeology more be more visible throughout the program. So maybe changing the program and what they could have done differently, Um, because like all of my experiences I had to find through like second, third connections. Nothing was like on the surface, like, oh, hey, come do this research for this professor and help out with this project. Like everything was made because I went and looked for it, but they didn't really help us in like giving you options. Do you think that 
unless you like actively look do you for think it. that might be because of the whole stigma associated with archaeology and the fact that it's never gonna you're not ever gonna get a decent job out of it it's a lot of sedentary like you know not sedentary that's the wrong word there's a lot of moving around you don't ever get a long-term contract you're always moving to the next project and doing the next thing and I, it's almost it's almost a niche in some ways yeah i don't i don't know about that um i definitely heard that like coming out of high school going into archaeology everyone's like oh what are you doing that for like you're never going to make money in that but i feel like everyone who was there in the field was very willing to help and they never discouraged it so i feel like people who have like gone through the process they're very happy with where they are and they're welcoming to help anyone else who wants to get there um but yeah definitely like externally like from the school in general i don't think there's any like focus on bringing up the humanities in general it's all like econ business focused or like um pre-med or like that sort of thing you don't really hear any like special events coming out of the humanities departments and so i feel like like a presence on campus, I always felt very minority in like my field. And whenever someone would like ask like, oh, what's your major? It was always like very judged because I wasn't doing something like econ or like Wall Street stuff, you know. So I think, yeah, I think as an institution, that is the case. But like within the department, I never felt that from other anthropologists. For my undergrad, I would have to say that I wouldn't really do anything different I really loved the classes that I ended up taking, and I got such a wide and wonderful perspective of anthropology, the world, people, and I wouldn't change that. I was able to specialize in visual anthropology, which made me go towards digital archaeology, as well as medical anthropology and being able to do a minor in geography, which helped me being able to learn about different areas of the world and go more into environmental archaeology. environmental geography and I like I wish I did more opportunities of archaeology and just asking around being like hey do you need any help with this do you know anybody that needs this done or just say hey I have some free time anybody need help just with the department in general because I loved all my professors and they're all so wonderful and encouraging I think the only hindrance that I had was the fact that I was working on top of school and I would be working maybe like 30 hours a week and at one point I was working two jobs and then I would be interning every single Friday at a museum to getting that um getting the museum experience and I absolutely loved it I would not change that for the world but I feel like having basically working seven days a week really just tired me out Mm -hmm. so then it's just like oh well there's this opportunity but it's during the time where I'm working and I really need the money. And I also was lacking confidence being like, well, there's probably a better archaeologist that would be better suited for it or better student that would be better for this opportunity. So kind of just selling myself short, which is a no-no. Bad Michaela. (laughs) (laughs) But now I know. So I think that's what I would do differently. Maybe focus less on work, even though money and living is important, but getting the experience and actually doing what you love especially if it is an opportunity that you find that you're just like this is absolutely perfect I need to go for this yeah and actually just going for it yeah I think 
my biggest advice for anyone in any school anywhere, and you'll hear me say this many times over many episodes, is just like the networking aspect is so important, especially in archaeology. And for the most part, part, if you go and ask anyone for help, they'll point you in the right direction or even give it to you themselves. And all of my opportunities that I've gotten out of archaeology have just been from asking people and going up and saying like, hey, I'm interested in this. Where can I go to do it? Or that sort of thing. And even just like reaching out to someone saying like, hey, what you're doing sounds really interesting. We'd love to hear more about it. Sometimes even those like small interactions will lead to opportunities also. And yeah, that's like a piece of advice. I I wish, I, I think I did a pretty good job at it in undergrad, but I wish I would have started that a little earlier. And I think I could have gotten mm-hmm. a lot more experience out of that. And that's my biggest advice to anyone going mm-hmm. into school, no matter what level it is. I wish like mm-hmm. more people told, like would tell us that instead of having to figure mm-hmm. it out on your own after like two to three years of education, it's crazy. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I do have a question. Were there any societal expectations when you decided that you wanted to pursue archaeology? And I know in the UK, Emmeline, you decided kind of early on. Uh, Yeah. But when you said that, were people around you being like, So many, yeah. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there. I I was basically lambasted for for deciding to go and do archaeology. And I didn't fall in love with it. Uh, by watching Indiana Jones or Time Team, I fell in love with it by by myself, if that makes sense. Like, I mm. I loved history. I knew that I loved history, but I didn't like history. I didn't like the old books, the stuffy professors. Sorry if that's generalizing. Um, the the whole the whole this person says this, this person says that, bloody blah blah blah. This is what happened. I liked going further back in time, looking at the ruins and and thinking of the people. And trying to understand the very normal mm-hmm. human people that that we don't know all of their stories because not all of them are recorded, but they are recorded if you know where to look. Um, mm-hmm. When I was fifteen and I told my parents I wanted to be an archaeologist, I got told I was wasting my intelligence, and I got told I should think about becoming a lawyer or a teacher or a doctor because I'm more likely to have a job. But I stuck at it. And in the end, my family became more supportive because they could see just how much I loved it and how much passion I have into pursuing this further. And, you know, even though right Mm -hmm. now I'm not currently working in archaeology, I've got a job as a customer service advisor, everything that I learned in terms at university, in terms of managing problems and, and, and finding solutions to problems, I'm using in my job and I'm still looking. So if anybody is listening and they like what I talked about, please, 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 please contact me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And on that note, if anyone has any questions for specific people on the show, feel free to reach out to the email. um, I dig it podcast at gmail.com and we will happily connect you with anyone else on the show. Um, On, on that topic also, when I entered undergrad, my parents were never, like, they didn't try to mush me into one direction or one major. And my grandma always said, like, study what you love and the rest will follow. And just as long as you finish and get that piece of paper, like, opportunity will come. And I think 
um, working hard, no matter what field you're in, if you make the effort to reach out to people and again, network and that sort of thing, you will always find something to do. And it all depends on just like how hard you work at that. And I'm a firm believer in that. It might just because it's all <laughs> maybe because it's always worked for me. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think it's okay to study what you love and to not worry about what other people think of that. Um, in my case, I knew I wanted to be an archaeologist as a child because <laughs> I had found a fossil. Now I know that's not like that's not what but I was like six years old and I told my parents I wanted to be an archaeologist and not to throw my mom under the bus but I don't think she I mean she didn't agree um she let me live my dream for a while but then she kind of was like oh you know archaeology there's not a lot of jobs and stuff like that so I kind of switched and that's why I went into education and after a couple years she kind of she apologized for it she was like that's my fault and I'd like she's been extremely supportive of my choices since so like all is forgotten but I do <laughs> but I have definitely heard many times oh like you're never gonna get a job so like what what is exactly archaeology and I think that comes from the fact that there's not a lot of understanding of what it is and what archaeologists do so most people kind of assume it's just the Indiana Jones type or like the university professor type and in that case, I think it kind of discourages a lot of people to pursue that as a career. But um, yeah, I mean, I really like it, so I'm not regretting it. I think on on the last point for that, um, the person who actually like helped me or kind of allowed me to continue this dream and never ever made me doubt myself was my was my grandmother because when I told her that I wanted to be an archaeologist and people were telling me that it wasn't a good choice she <laughs> I, we were in Belgium and she got she there was an archaeology week on the tv she made me watch every single episode <laughs> of that series <laughs> go grandma and, and she turned yeah and we she turned it. to me and she said well to be an archaeologist, you need to be brave. You need to be hardworking. You need to be a detective. And you need to truly believe in, in what it is you are researching and looking for. And you need that empathy. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Grandma. <laughs> Thanks, Graham. <laughs> when I was younger, I think archaeology was kind of predetermined for me because of my interest in history and just learning about the past and all that. And so it wasn't when I was in high school and I was like telling my mom that I wanted to pursue anthropology for archaeology and forensic anthropology. I was I was in between some things, but she was like, you know what? It's a really good university. University of Tennessee has a really good forensic anthropology department. We can look to move there and so you can get in-state tuition and she was just so supportive and she's always just been so supportive of just my dreams and she's just always telling myself and my three other brothers my my three older brothers to just go for what we love and she sees that we all have so many possibilities for our lives and she just wants us to be happy and (laughs) and that just goes for like my entire family they're just so for it and I think because they were the ones pushing me forward even when I was just like oh but do I really want to do this one it's like yes you do go go do this 
And that means, like, all the other opinions around me didn't matter. Yeah. So it's like, I would get told, oh, anthropology, archaeology, ooh, are there jobs there? It's like, I don't know, I don't care, I'll find something. <laughs> I'm slightly ashamed to say that my inspiration for being an archaeologist came from watching Ancient Aliens with my dad. <laughs> um, <laughs> Aliens. But it was so cool just, like, seeing all of, like, the major monuments, like, on TV and theories about how they can even though like I know it wasn't aliens or was it but yeah <laughs> that's where that's where my peak interest came before entering undergrad I think mm-hmm. which show there is a benefit to these types of shows yeah, yeah exactly yeah. It, it gets you it's like it. let me let me yeah. show you real archaeology yeah even though they do it incorrectly it gets you into yeah. the field so Shout out to all the bad archaeologists <laughs> out there. Yeah. They're all about that <laughs> drama and romanticizing. Laura Croft. Who? <laughs> Who? <Tumor. laughs> oh, gosh. River. Uh, all right. Hang on. I've got, I've, got, I've got a good archaeologist. River Song. River Song. Doctor Who. Yeah. There you go. There's Doctor one. Who. There's She's one of good. many. She does good. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess we can um, go into our closing question with that, and that would just be, like, what is a piece of advice you'd give to people entering their undergrad right now, whether that's in the US, UK, or Canada, or elsewhere? Keep at it. Don't ever give up. And and also, was the L'Oreal <laughs> advert, you're worth it? Like, <laughs> you're worth yeah, it. like, definitely don't, don't sell yourself short. Go and look and find someone and ask. They've all been where we have been. They've all struggled up, they've struggled through, they, they've had to do the all-nighter essay. Ask them. They're there to help. Um, I'd say for me would be just trust your instinct. Um, in my case, it took me two years to realize what I really wanted to do, even though I already knew. I just was too scared of doing a job that wasn't necessarily as secure as other other job. So trust your instinct. If you don't like something, uh, stop mm-hmm. it and just do something that you like and really enjoy. It makes a big difference. I would have to say, just like what Emily said, just keep going at it. Just keep doing what you're doing. You're there. You're in university. You're already there. That's awesome. So just keep pursuing what you love. And you will know what you love when you find what you love. If you are in one program, you take a course in something else. It's like, I actually really like this one so much better than economics. Then go for it. Take another course before you switch your major entirely, maybe. Or unless you just know. And bouncing off of that. Go for it. Yeah. Just know when to quit and know that it's okay to Mm -hmm. quit, too. Like, if something doesn't feel right, just end it there and find something that does feel right. Because there's always like a better path out there especially if you're not feeling comfortable in the major you're you chose right when you entered college like astrophysics (laughs) (laughs) get out of that as soon as no just kidding if you like astrophysics Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if you're 18 or if you're 32 like archaeology really welcomes everyone so if that's what you wanted yeah pursue it i agree Mm -hmm. doesn't matter how old you are (laughs) Thanks so much for you guys coming out and joining us on this podcast. That was super fun. Fun banter. <laughs> yes, thank you for having yeah. us. Yeah, thanks. I miss you guys so much. Same. I'm so glad we met over in the Come UK. Come back. Seems like forever <laughs> ago.
<laughs> we will. <laughs> Eventually. We have to. Eventually. When when the world opens up again. <laughs> God. Really big thank you for you guys. We really appreciate your insight and your opinions and just your journeys through your undergrad and how they've come to shape you to the archaeologist you are today. Thanks. Yeah. And thank you guys for starting this as well. It's uh it's a nice little thing to listen to when you're at work and it, you guys really helped remind me why why I did this in the first place cuz uh, not going to lie oh. lockdown has been making me feel very lost and it was just refreshing to hear your guys voices and what you were going to tackle oh, and everything. So, so super well done and keep yes, it up. Of course. Can I come again? <laughs> we would love to. Have you. And I would have to say that's all for today's episode. Thank you for being here for our episode of I Dig It. And if you enjoyed this theme song that we have, that's super rad. It was created by Cola Break from the band Lunar Riptide in Huntington Beach, California. Go check them out on almost all social media platforms at Lunar Riptide Band. Special thanks to our community of archaeologists on the I Dig It Discord page. For more information and to reach out to us, Hit us up on all social media pages at Podcast or send us an email at idigitpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any stories about how you got started in archaeology or anything related to archaeology that you'd love to share with us, please send it in at any of our social media or at idigitpodcast at gmail.com. And keep digging and see you next time. Some.